Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He is the Messiah. He is both the God-man and he is God in flesh. He is Jesus. He's Yeshua. That's who the Messiah is. But it's not enough for you to go off of my answer to that question. You have to answer this question. You have to, because we're confronted with this truth today. Who is the Messiah? And that is something you have to answer. You have to have an answer for it. Either he is the Messiah, or you think he's not the Messiah. Of all the questions that have ever been asked or will be asked, there's only one that will matter for eternity. Who do you say that Jesus is? As Pastor James shares, your answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity, whether it's separated from God because you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, or in heaven with God because you did put your faith and trust in him. God gives you a chance to make a choice. So what will your answer be before it's too late? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 12 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Today, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. So if you don't mind, turn into chapter 12. We're in this interesting little section here. We've been going through chapter 12, and that's where Jesus has been confronted by religious people, okay? When I say religious people, I'm not talking about religion. Well, we're not talking about good religion. There is good religion. We talked about that last week. There's widows and orphans. That's good religion. You want to be religious in that realm, okay? That's not bad. Uh, the religion where you think you're working your way to heaven, that's bad religion, okay? He has some religious leaders, and I say in the bad sense because they are misleading the people. They are hunting down Jesus with questions, okay? So that's been all of chapter 12 as we've been going through this. Uh, a, a different individual will approach him with a question thinking that they can get him. We'll get him with this one. We'll get him with this one. Should we pay taxes? Should we, what's going to happen in heaven? Will you know, will we be married in heaven? And, and, just, and they were coming up with some really just ridiculous questions, trying to get Jesus. That was their motive. And so he has answered each and every one of their questions. And then it got down to the very last one, which we covered last week was, well, what's the greatest commandment? And this is a, one that they would debate all the time. And Jesus let them know. He started off with the, the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, he, he made a statement first, and then he went into love the Lord your God with, with every aspect of your being, heart, mind, soul, strength, everything you are, love God with all of that. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself, okay? Then he says, this is the greatest, and this one is just like it. And so he summed up the entire law, all 600 plus commandments, with just those two, with just those two. And the, the uh, scribe, or he really is a lawyer, who had asked Jesus that question, and I don't think he was hunting down Jesus. I mean, he may have been provoked by the other leaders to ask him that, but it seems that like he had sincerity because when he heard Jesus' answer, he was like, oh, man, that's, you're brilliant. Like, you, that's an amazing answer. You're absolutely correct. It's kind of his assessment of Jesus' 
knowledge of the Bible. Um, and yeah, that's the proper assessment. Jesus really knows the Bible. Um, he really does. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but um, he, he never approaches the scriptures as if he opens us up, but with like, I don't understand what this means. No, it, it all came from him. Um, but that was it. That was the last question. Now Jesus is going to ask them a question. Okay? You can ask Jesus all the questions you want. You can ask him all the questions you want. But you need to leave space for him to ask you questions. That's sometimes where we stop it, right? We, we want to know why, why, why. That's not a bad question. Sometimes things happen in our lives. We want to understand why. Why, why Jesus? Why, why is this happening right now? Why did you allow that? And, and just a lot of why questions. However, we never really give him space to ask us questions. We don't. In our devotional lives, if yours is anything like mine, it's just I'm reading and, you know, doing, trying to dig in and as much as I can and, and all that good stuff. And sometimes I'll, I'll ask him questions in, in that sense, but I never leave room for him to examine my heart, so to speak, with his own questions, right? Well, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how you do, this is how you do devotions. You, you open it up, you read, you pray, you seek to apply, and then boom, boom, and it's systematic, and you go on, and that's not what it's about. A, a, a true, intimate, devotional time with Jesus is open up the Word, read the Word, meditate on the Word. That means, you know, kind of chew on it for a while, pray, um, obviously, first, first step is just ask the Holy Spirit, please speak to me, please teach me. And then the last part of that is then leave room for silence. Silence on your part, not his part. Silence on your part to say, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What questions may you have for me? Might you have for me? We, we need to leave room for him in this relationship to ask us questions. And don't be scared by the questions of Jesus. His questions have a, a direct purpose, and it's always to, to really to bring to the surface what's going on inside of your heart that you may not be aware of, because that's what the refiner does. He draws out those impurities. And Jesus loves to ask, he's going to ask these, these guys questions. And it's the question of all questions. It's the most important question to be asked ever. It's, it's the question of all questions. And they were not expecting this from him. Okay? So let's, uh, let's pick up in here. Verse 35, later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, why do teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? So here's a question out of the blue from Jesus not just to the religious leaders, but also to the crowd that was, you know, his audience. Okay, it's a, it's a mixed crowd, so to speak. He's like, let me ask you guys something. Why do all the religious leaders say that the Messiah is David's son? Why? This is a common thing. This is actually something that uh, a majority of people back in this time, they absolutely believe that the Messiah would come from the lineage of King David. Even to this day, most Jews believe the Messiah will come from the lineage of King David. This is not debatable. This is not a problem, okay? So he's asking this question, but then he's going to put a little spin on it. He's going he's to shed some light on it that they've never thought about. So he, he throws this question out there, one that every person in the audience could answer. They all could answer this question. 
says, why, why do they claim that the Messiah is the son of David? He goes on to say, verse 36, for David himself, now here's, this is key. You need to underline this part in your Bible. Speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, key, absolutely key. Well, the Bible's just written by men. How do we know they didn't mess it up? No, 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 no. The Bible was written by men through the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He told them what to write. Yes, he used them as vessels, just like you will use a pen as a vessel to get what's in here onto a piece of paper. God used these men to get what was here in his heart onto paper. So it's not that David didn't make stuff up. He was led by the Holy Spirit and recorded these things. Jeremiah didn't make things up. Isaiah didn't make things up. He didn't, they weren't sitting around thinking like, you know what? I think I'm going to write a book. I think I'm going to write a book. They didn't call it books. They call it letters and all that good stuff. But none of these guys were thinking like that. And could you, I mean, if you just look at the, even just the Old Testament itself, could you under, I mean, do you understand like how extremely difficult it would be for somebody who would come at the end of that time to try to write a letter that continue the scarlet thread of symmetry from Genesis all the way through. You understand how difficult that would be. And then to include prophetic events that had not yet happened, but would happen four to 500 years later with exact precision. Exact precision. Mankind can't do these things. Now we can hear and we can obey, but these guys weren't making this stuff up. There, there's no way. That would be absolutely impossible. So David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this. This is Psalm 110. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Okay? So Jesus quotes this psalm that they would know. By the way, this psalm is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. It's a pretty important one. So Jesus is like, hey, why do the religious leaders say that the Messiah will be David's descendant? And they're like, well, I mean, he's going to be. They, and they can, and I, you know, we could throw out scriptures. There's a handful of scriptures that, that let us know that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David, from Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 11, I believe, and then from Jeremiah, and then uh, all, all throughout your minor prophets as well. This, this, was, a, this was common knowledge, Okay. But then Jesus quotes Psalm 110. He says, okay, but explain this to me. Why is David calling his descendant Lord? You wouldn't do that. Culturally, you would never do that. A father would never address his son as Lord. Never. You wouldn't address any of your descendants as Lord. Certainly not King David. So Jesus just throws this wrench into their, their whole, you know, theological understanding. He's like, oh, yeah, you, you say that the Messiah is David's descendant. Okay, then explain this psalm to me. Explain this psalm to me. The only explanation would be that Jesus is both man and God. Because he can't be addressed as Lord unless he is God. So this is Jesus in a real kind of sneaky way, letting these guys know, like, hey, explain this to me. Why does David say, my Lord, 
addresses his descendant as Lord. You wouldn't do that. And then you could see probably the wheels starting to grind in the religious leaders' brains. They're not going to accept this truth at all, but he's got them. He's got them. They try to get him with all their questions, with all their questions and all their brilliance and all their understanding. And, and they were smart intellectually, you know, intellectual individuals for sure. However, nobody's smarter than Jesus. And when it comes to the word of God, you, you're not going to win in that Bible battle with Jesus, okay? Like, you're just not, okay? And, and this is just beautiful, and it's so simple, and he's not, he's not being, you know, he's just throwing it out there casually. Hey, explain this to me. Answer this for me. In your little doctrine circles and your little theology kind of conferences and all that good stuff, you believe the Messiah is the descendant of David, right? And they're all like, yeah, of course he is. All right, then explain this psalm to me. And they're like, woof. We didn't know you were going to go there. Uh, we weren't ready for that. But they can't explain it. I mean, it's as clear as day. But it's like they, they know the Psalms, but they don't know the Psalms. Have you ever experienced this when you're cruising around with somebody and the radio's blasting and a song comes on? And then it's never you. It's probably always them. But they start singing. And uh, they, they know the song, but they don't know the song. You know what I'm saying? Like, Parts of the, you know, maybe the, this verse or the chorus comes on and they're singing something totally different. It sounds right, but you know that those are not the lyrics. Those are not the lyrics. You think you know the song, but you don't really know the song, right? My, uh, my kids like to, they like, we love watching music videos. Uh, it's specifically from the 80s and the 90s uh, because anything beyond that is just, uh, it's just kind of, well, I don't like it, but, um, and it's just gross. Uh, I mean, you can't watch it anyways, because it's all explicit. Um, but we try to stay safe in the 80s and the 90s, okay? Um, but they've, they've come across through YouTube, there's a girl that, that performs on the street. Good, good vocals, um, she knows the song, she sings the songs, crowd always gathers around her, sounds really good. She's got a friend, another girl, good vocals, yeah, pretty good. She's very passionate. I mean, she's super passionate. She doesn't know the songs. And I watch these videos, and I'm like, I don't think this girl even knows this song. Like, she knows parts of the songs, but she doesn't know the whole song. But that doesn't, that doesn't keep her from singing that song. She goes for it. I'm like, I don't even know if you're speaking English. Like, that's not even, those aren't words, right? But she's going for it. She's passionate about it. She's got this bravado, like, I'm going to sing this song, right? And she gets half of it right, but she feels pretty confident in her ability. That's how I think of the Pharisees and the scribes and religious leaders when it comes to the word of God. They have a bravado. They have this confidence that they, they know the song. And Jesus shows up and he's like, you don't know the song. You don't know, that, you don't, you don't know these lyrics. You grew up with it. You sang these songs but when it's time for open mic night, you're just making a fool out of, your, out of yourself because you don't know the lyrics. And that's what he's saying here with Psalm 110. He's like, guys, you're leaders. You're the leaders. And you don't know what the word says. That's a problem. The, and the most fundamental truth, like the most like exciting truth, the Messiah, they, I mean, they loved all scriptures concerning who the Messiah is going to be. And the Messiah is in their presence. And he's quoting to them psalms that they would know. And they're, they're just looking at him was like, so what are you saying? They don't get it. They don't get it. 
The heart of that question is this, and this is why I'm saying this is the most important question asked by Jesus. Do you know who the Messiah is, is essentially what he's saying. And that is why it, is, it was the most important question back then, and it is the most important question you're going to be asked today. Do you know who the Messiah is? Yeah, the, the offshoot of, you know, of Jesse, right? Like he's a descendant of David, King David. He is the Messiah. He is both the God-man and he is God in flesh. He is Jesus. He's Yeshua. That's who the Messiah is. But it's not enough for you to go off of my answer to that question. You have to answer this question. You have to, because we're confronted with this truth today. Who is the Messiah? And that is something you have to answer. You have to have an answer for. Either he is the Messiah, or you think he's not the Messiah. And that's, that's, that's where we're at. And that is the most important question is, who is the Messiah? Who is Jesus? What Jesus would have asked his disciples a few chapters before this at Caesarea Philippi, what he asked them in private, who do the people say I am? Well, they say, you're Elijah. Or they say, you're one of the prophets. You're, you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. But then Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. These untrained, theologically speaking, fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, in, you know, in whatever else occupation was, was represented there, they knew who he was. They answered correctly. And now it's time for the religious leaders of the day to answer the question, because Jesus took that private question and brought it out into the public, because he's about to go to the cross. And he says, who is the Messiah? Who's the Messiah? And they don't have an answer for him. These religious leaders, the experts in the law, provide him with no answer. They can't answer this question. They can. They don't want to answer this question. They don't want to answer it. Verse 37, it says, since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? And he makes that beautiful statement. He, he exegetes on this, this passage of scripture. I mean, he brings out the, this is what it's talking about. This is, this is the meaning behind this. He says, how would, you know, since David called him, called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? He's like, yeah, he came. And what he's saying to the, to the listeners, to the audience is, he's man. Yeah, that's the son aspect. But he's also Lord, which means he's He's God. And so in that right there, that is a roundabout way of Jesus saying, it's me. I'm God. I'm God in flesh. I'm part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm here right now. I'm here right now. If David were alive, he would be addressing Jesus as Lord, as Messiah. And he just... He just explains that, that portion of scripture. He answers his own question, so to speak, because nobody else wants to give him an answer. And what I love about this is the, the audience, right? The, the common people. It says right there, the large crowd listening to him, or the large crowd listened to him with great delight, right? They're like, this dude's awesome. Like, there's nobody who talks like him. 
There is nobody who teaches the word like Jesus. And this was a common thing. Every synagogue, every, every town he went to and he taught within the synagogues, it was the same thing, right? The results sometimes ended with them trying to kill him. But when he taught, he, everybody was like, who is this guy? He teaches unlike anyone else because all their teachers and instructors would get up and they're like, okay, let me read today's verse. I'm going to read that. And then, okay, now let me just tell you a bunch of stories. Or let me, let's move away from the word and let's get into the extra biblical stuff, the, you know, the add-ons that rabbis had added onto it throughout the years. And they would always camp out there. Jesus showed up and he's like, let me tell you what the word says. Let me tell you what the word means with authority. And people were impressed by that because, well, they were being starved by their leaders. These are sheep who were not being fed by the shepherds. And Jesus, as the great shepherd, says, I'm going to feed the sheep. And he'd do it in a simple way, in a beautiful way, but he did it with authority. And the people loved that. They loved that. He didn't add any nonsense. Not that he would tell stories, but they were, they were parables used to, well, they would kind of conceal a truth, right? But then they would also reveal a truth to a certain extent. Like, so there were stories. So don't get me wrong, any pastors who tell stories, they're not bad guys. Well, some of them might be. Um, I don't know, discernment, check them out, right? Like, just check them out. But it's not bad, but Jesus was able to like, no, this, the centrality of it all is the word itself. I, I don't care about what this commentator says, although it may be true, that's not the word of God. This is the word of God. That story may be true and all that, but that's not the word of God. Let's stick with the word of God. That was his style, okay? And when he needed to use parables, he would use parables. And then sometimes when he just needed to drop a theological bomb on somebody, like in here, he just did it. He's like, let me ask you a question. Who's the Messiah? You guys say he comes from David, and that's true. However, however, what they didn't believe about the Messiah was that he was also God. And so he needed to expose that, that little, you know, well, it's just, it's not a true doctrine. They believed that the Messiah would just be a man and only a man. And Jesus is on the scenes like, no, no, no. Yeah, he's a man, but he's also God because David addressed him as Lord. And you wouldn't do that unless he was God. So he just drops that on them. The crowd's like, the crowd goes wild. Now they probably didn't go wild, but they were just like, wow, this is Passover week too. There's like tons of people around. They're so impressed by him. I, I often wonder when I see verses like that, I wonder how many, how many of these cr- within the crowd were there a few days later shouting out, crucify him, crucify him though. You know what I'm saying? Because not saying that these guys were, but there was, a, there was a large crowd yelling out, crucify him as well. Okay, so you never know. But in this moment, They liked what he taught. And then here's Jesus's warning concerning these religious leaders to that crowd, okay? Jesus also taught, verse 38, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes. I'll never wear those, by the way. Um, Not because of this verse, well, kind of because of this verse, but I will never wear a robe. Um, Just, it's not gonna happen. Uh, But anyways, that's a side note.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.